It's funny you mentioned selling off the guy game and it just it went through my head. You must have at one point thought, oh, this game is rare and is controversial and it has all this like history to it. I have to have this in my collection. And you grabbed it. And then yeah. you had a moment recently where you were like, why the hell do I have this? Uh, I honestly, I just wanted to see. T- <laughs> You are now listening to the RF Generation Playcast. The Playcast is the place where the single banana and I, Ghost 81 discuss the monthly community playthrough games selected by us and shared by a community of gamers on rfgeneration.com and social media platforms like Twitter. This month, the rhythm is gonna get ya. To end the summer, we took our DSs to the beach and got down with Elite Beat Agents and Rhythm Heaven. Were we able to get into the groove and tap and flick our way to ecstasy? Or did we throw our DSs into the ocean in discordant frustration? Stay tuned to find out. You can listen to the show on Apple Podcasts and Podbean or just visit rfgplaycast.com. On Twitter, I'm at RFG Playcast, and Rich is at the Single Banana. Most importantly, be sure to log on to RFGeneration.com to discuss the games with us and have a chance to get mentioned on the show. Thank you as always for listening, and now, on with the Playcast. It's uh, been a while since we've had the show all to ourselves. Yeah, it's going to be interesting in a good way. We have 
had a heck of a run of guests this year, and it's good to kind of wind down the summer with a nice one-on-one episode, especially with the games that we played, (laughs) as we'll get into. I'm hoping this will be a pretty swift conversation on the game side, so we'll see what happens there. Yeah. Our uh, good friends at uh, the STC podcast, do you know what they call their one-on-one episodes? No, what's that? They call them Tiffany's, and they play the song, I Think We're Alone Now. (laughs) Oh, okay. I get it. I get it. (laughs) So, which begs the question, Sean, Tiffany or Deborah Gibson? Uh, I actually, I went down a little bit of a Debbie Gibson rabbit hole. I think it wasn't that long ago. That's gross. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> Come on, <laughs> rabbit hole man! You're gonna you're gonna turn that dirty. Um, uh, you know, Adam <laughs> made me do it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the filthiest guest we've ever had. I know what a dirty guy. <laughs> Filthy. Uh, no, but Debbie Gibson was a very talented young lady. She wrote a lot of her own music, which for any time with pop music, it's not very common. She was very musically talented at a young age, from what I understand. So I think I always think that's kind of cool. So mm-hmm. she had her own perfume too. Oh yeah, I didn't know that. Or Electric I don't remember. Youth. Oh, Electric Youth. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I remember the commercials with the like one nine hundred number, the Electric Youth. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, you could get it at any CVS. Some high quality. Sh- Interesting. I I wonder if those are on eBay now, if they're like a thousand bucks a bottle. Probably. Yeah. You should get your wife some for Christmas. That'd be good. That would be hilarious. She and I both like fragrances. I I wear a lot of cologne that she picks out for me. We actually like to get like more unisex type of perfumes and colognes and share them. I always think that's pretty cool. Not Axe. <laughs> That's funny. I can picture my wife like spraying Axe body spray all over herself. Like, yeah, I'm ready to go. <laughs> I got to go Tiffany, man. I just think she's aged a lot better. But, you know, I'm completely selfish in that I'm going with looks instead of good music and that such. What were some of Tiffany's biggest hits? Refresh my memory. There was, I think we're along now. Yeah, which is a cover from the 60s. Like, did she have any original? Who did Shake Your Love? Was that Tiffany? I think think that was, actually. Was it? Yeah, let's look it up. So, (laughs) damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Tiffany hits. No, that was Debbie Gibson. Shame on me. Oh, damn. <laughs> yeah. I think that might have been it, man. And Tiffany was in all those like she's been in a lot of schlocky horror movies lately, right? Oh well, you know, Deborah Gibson has too. She's been on Sci Fi Channel doing uh some stuff. I think she did that what was it, like Mega Shark versus Giant Squid or something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. So their careers have both blossomed really well and uh you know that's that's good. They kind of stand on firm, equal ground, I think. But Debbie probably had a few more hits and was probably a little more popular back in the day. Yeah, I'm looking at Tiffany's top 20 songs. And I got to say, I don't really recognize any of them. I think We're Alone Now is the top one. And then 
these songs all this time. If love is blind, can't you see here in my mm-hmm. heart? Like uh, maybe I would know them if I heard them, but I don't yeah. really recognize. I don't know, man. I think it's the red hair. Yeah. Well, I'm married to a redhead, so I can uh, appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I'm married to a blonde and really prefer brown headed women. I don't know how that happened. I tell her all the time, but <laughs> that's a good thing. <laughs> Just tell Opposite her all the track. time. I'm sure she wants to hear it. Fantastic husband. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Well, speaking of assholes. <laughs> oh, <good> segue. <laughs> <laughs> Did we have any mistakes that our asshole friends pointed out from the previous episode? You know, I haven't seen any on Twitter or in our threads on RF Generation, but I had a few that I picked out. One, it was on me. I kept saying Yoshimi versus the Pink Robots. And the title of the Flaming Lips album is actually Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots. And I think I said that a few times and just kind of went back and forth with the two. So I just wanted to make that clarification. Okay. The other thing that you said, and I had to look up because I was questioning it. You were talking about buzz clips that they used to play on MTV. And in my mind, I remembered the phrase Buzz Bin, which was the actual name of the format but the buzz clip was actually the name of each song that was played. So you were right. That sounds familiar. It kind of rings a bell. So you're just adding like a, another layer of context to the MTV thing. I am, because I'm all about layers. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's real thick up in here. Yeah. Yeah. And then the final thing is just a clarification I wanted to make. As you know, my neighbor, who's a good friend of mine, listens to the show all the time. And when we were doing our picks last month, we did bands that were known as one hit wonders that had really good discographies and, you know, full albums that we all really, really enjoyed. My neighbor is one of these really meticulous guys. And so he was like looking up the songs to see where they hit on the Billboard charts. And our buddy Adam was going with top 40 hits. That was his line of demarcation, you know? Mm hmm. And before that segment, we really didn't discuss what our qualifications were. For me, it was things that I heard on the radio. And if it was a band that I really only heard one song on the radio, that's how I chose my pick. So Adam did top 40, and I'm curious, what was your line that you went with? So for my criteria, I didn't do anything scientific. I picked a lot of bands that I knew... I knew in my heart only had one hit. Like, right. I thought Adam like picking the cult was maybe a bit of a stretch, but he justified it on the air as far as like you yeah, were saying absolutely. with his chart data. But for me, it was like, I know the band Len is a one hit wonder. Like I know none of their other songs like even had music videos. You couldn't name another Len song. And then the other bands I picked were kind of like so underground, so to speak, and had these hits in the mid nineties that, I know that out of the rest of their careers, they didn't have anything, unless I made some kind of huge error or oversight, that they didn't have any other hits. Well, if you did make an error, no one pointed it out. So Right. right. No, I think I'm good. But, you know, it made me think, like, when we do these collector cast segments, what we probably need to do is kind of qualify how we're approaching the topic, because, you know, you and I typically approach it in different ways sometimes, and we have different criteria. So, yeah, lesson learned. Well, you're going to have to review what you just said, because I think you said collector cast instead of concert cast, oh, and I, I want to be the one who catches that. <laughs> 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 uh, 
But yeah, I get what you're saying. And it would have helped in the concert cast that we're about to do because I had a heck of a time with this one. Let me just tell you. Really? Yeah. yeah. I'm kind of surprised. Yeah. Well, you want to get into that or were there any other mistakes that you had to uh, talk about? Well, I just fucking said collector cast. So there's that. (laughs) (laughs) It's all good, man. No, let's move into the concert cast. I'm curious to see uh, what your picks are, as you're probably as curious to hear mine. Yes, sir. So this is a weird criteria. I think it was something that I kind of came up with, but morphed into something else as you kind of chewed on it and spit it back at me. So my idea was to take what are your favorite music dedicated movies or concert movies. So I was thinking things like Talking Heads Stop Making Sense or... I don't know, even the home video stuff like Nirvana Live Tonight sold out or, you know, those Metallica home videos or whatever. Like I was thinking stuff like that, like concert Perhaps films. next month. Uh, yeah, we, that's something we could save for another one. But we actually started chatting about soundtracks and this question, this top three kind of morphed into, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's... I will. It's film soundtracks <laughs> that are performed by one artist or mostly by one artist right i would say like over half the album is done by one artist and you and i had this conversation that it's strange now like when you get a movie soundtrack it's just the people who make movies just picking songs and just paying for those songs to insert into their movies they're not getting bands to do a complete soundtrack for them which we got a lot of Back in the day, especially, you know, 70s and 80s, people like Kenny Loggins were just damn crushing soundtracks back in the 80s, you know. So I thought this would be kind of a cool topic. You definitely had to dig to find some. I'll I'll give you that. But there are several of them out there. So uh, if you're ready, we'll get into it. Yes, sir. I only have one honorable mention. Do you have any? Oh, yes. I have several honorable mentions. All right. So why don't we do those at the end then, if you got a bunch. Um, So I'll just go with my number three. So, Rich, what I did, I'm going to be honest, I Googled like film soundtracks by a single artist, and I got about a dozen top 10 or top 20 lists. And then I started picking out the ones I recognized and reviewing them. And I even listened to some that I wasn't super familiar with. And then I even got real ambitious and was like, I'm going to watch some of these movies. So I actually, for the first time, I saw the movie Who's That Girl with Madonna Okay. and uh, didn't end up on my list. But that movie is so, so horrible. (laughs) I thought you were going to say good there for a minute. I was like, wow. No, it was was really bad. Her character in that movie must have been designed to be the most annoying character like ever in a film. It was just obnoxious. Yeah, she'll never top a league of their own. Yeah, I haven't seen all of her movies, but I could probably agree with that. So this is an album that I do remember from my childhood. I never saw the movie, and I remember it being kind of a thing where the soundtrack got more attention than the film itself, and it's Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers soundtrack for She's the One, uh, which I believe is a film with Jennifer Aniston. Uh, I I don't know, some kind of dopey romantic comedy, probably. (laughs) But yeah, I remember having this CD when when I was younger. Uh, My parents were really into Tom Petty and we had a bunch of his CDs. And I remember when this came out, it has some pretty decent songs on it. I would say it ranks as like 
an average to above average Tom Petty album, and it just happens to be the soundtrack to this movie. So, are you familiar with this one? I've heard of the movie, but I am not familiar with the soundtrack, and I haven't seen the movie. The two probably best songs on it. There was one hit. It was called Walls, I think. Okay. Um, and then there's another song that I really like that the name is escaping me right now. But yeah, not the worst Tom Petty album. Totally listenable. And as far as putting on my list, that's my number three. Awesome, man. Well, I will go ahead and go with my number three. And that is a soundtrack for one of the movies by the famous Western director, Sam Peckinpah. He did The Wild Bunch. He did Straw Dogs, which is not technically a Western. And he had another movie called Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. And Bob Dylan actually did the soundtrack for that and also showed up in the movie as a character named Alias, which is uh, kind of funny because <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm a big Bob Dylan fan and uh, his appearance in that movie is just really, really goofy. But uh, man, it is a fantastic film. If you've never seen Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, you should give it a try. Um, the lead in it, Billy the Kid, is played by Chris Christopherson. And I can't think of the guy who plays Pat Garrett. He's a really famous actor as well. Uh, but he's really awesome, too. I'm a big fan of Sam Peckinpah films. They tend to be a little ultra-violent, but uh, it's uh, really great. And uh, Bob Dylan does a really great job on the soundtrack. One of the most famous songs on that soundtrack is Knocking on Heaven's Door, which, of course, was uh, covered by Guns N' Roses later on down the road. So uh, if you get a chance to check out that soundtrack, it is definitely a winner. Cool, cool. I like that so far we're not crossing paths because I was worried that we would right off the bat. So I think we're going to be fine, man. All right, let's see as I roll into my number two. Uh, now, this kind of stretches what can be called an actual movie soundtrack. It is a album that is connected to a film for sure. And uh, the movie is The Life Aquatic. Uh, and the artist, now, please forgive me. I watched this man and listened to him say his own name multiple times. Uh, <laughs> it's Portuguese. I fancy myself as someone who can like pronounce foreign languages like to <laughs> a certain degree. I do not fancy myself as that kind of person. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's Seu Jorge. And okay. the album, if you want to look it up, it's the Life Aquatic Studio Sessions featuring Seu Jorge. Mm -hmm. Basically what it is is acoustic David Bowie covers sung in portuguese yeah that's fantastic man it is amazing so mm -hmm. i gotta tell you when this criteria came up and when this list came up i said well at least i got one because i'm <laughs> i love this album very <laughs> you know it's it's very dear to my heart very pleasant to listen to if you're a bowie fan and you've never heard this um very few people could take bowie songs to a new level and and this guy really did on this Absolutely. Great pick, man. I like that one. I wasn't even thinking about that, but I totally agree. Awesome. Cool. So what's your number two? My number two album was done by one of my favorite collaborators. They've done work with Rob Zombie, Beck. I think I mentioned them last month. They mixed Odelay. And they did a soundtrack for the movie Fight Club, and that is the Dust Brothers. That is one of my favorite 
electronic albums. I do have an honorable mention that's basically electronic. But uh, the Dust Brothers Fight Club album, I remember that coming out when I was in college. And it stayed on rotation in our dorm room and, you know, in my car. It is very good. And, you know, I know the movie Fight Club can be hot or cold. Some people love it. Some people hate it. But the soundtrack by the Dust Brothers is one of the best soundtracks out there and by far my favorite electronic soundtrack. Also, Pixie song on there, uh, Where Is My Mind, uh, which plays at the end of the film. Yeah, I got to tell you, I haven't seen it in a very long time, but there was a time in my life when Fight Club, I thought, was like the greatest movie of all time, the height of (laughs) just cinematic uh, (laughs) amazingness. And yeah, that end scene where that when Where Is My Mind comes on, it just blew my little teenage mind away when that happened. So Mm -hmm. great choice. Great movie. I guess we'll see when we get into our honorable mentions, but I guess the nature of some films of like the 90s and 2000s and even beyond that, even more recently, is that electronic music tends to lend itself well to scoring like modern films, you know? Yep. All right. Well, my number one pick is from another movie that I haven't seen in a very long time, but I remember being obsessed with it and watching it multiple multiple times and uh some of the songs on this album are definitely in the film but as i listen to the album itself in its entirety i gained a new appreciation for the music and for some of the deeper cuts that i wasn't super familiar with the movie is magnolia and son of a bitch (laughs) He stole my number one. Uh, all right. Well, let's let's talk about it, bro. <laughs> uh, so this is Amy Mann, who is yeah. the, the lead singer from the 80s band Till Tuesday, who probably could qualify as a one-hit wonder with yep. her song Voices Carry. Yeah, great song, um, too. The high points, Rich, for me are the... It starts off with a cover of Three Dog Nights song oh, yeah. one. And then one of the, the biggest points in the movie is a montage with the song wise up which i mean this song just like rips my heart out man as somebody who has just dealt with addiction it's there are certain songs that just put perspective on things like that that are just perfection lyrically Mm -hmm. the other standout track is a song called save me i just wrote that down man that's funny you said that yeah when I was researching, I she won an Academy Award, I think, for that song or a Grammy. I don't have it in front of me, but she won some prestigious awards for that track. I'll just say before I kick it over to you, I think this album, not only in its lyrical content and stylings, because it has this kind of indie folkish sound to it. It's kind of timeless. Like if I had heard this fresh for the first time and you were like, oh, this album that just came out this year or something, I would have been like, wow, because the production is just very bright and clear and well done. It really has a timeless quality. However, you know, it was engineered or recorded. And then Amy Mann just has the she has a great great singing voice man especially on this album i I tried to go back and listen to some of her her other solo stuff and it's good it's decent and even like till tuesday i listen to some of their albums but none of it really gets its hooks in me like this stupid movie soundtrack does it's actually kind of cool so yeah 
Hey, I completely agree, man. It was at the top of my list at number one also. And that's it's funny that it was not only on both of our lists, but our number one. So if you're listening to this podcast, it's one that you absolutely have to check out. Her voice is just stunning. Like you said, it just goes so well with the movie. Again, Magnolia is one of those movies that is hit or miss for a lot of people. It's in my top five. I love it, but... Uh, there's no arguing that the soundtrack is a complete masterpiece. And for someone that came out of the 80s with Till Tuesday and came out of the blue and made a soundtrack for this film, it's just stunning, man. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Now, have you seen the movie like recently, like within the last like three to five years? Yes. Okay. Because I, I haven't seen it since I was in my 20s. And I just remember it being like what I thought was special about it is that I felt the movie like it didn't have a typical like structure of a film and I'm yeah. I'm not like a scholar of film but it, I can tell it doesn't have a three act structure because it feels like the movie is just crescendoing for the entire like runtime if that makes sense like the entire film is like the climax of a film You're absolutely right and I think a lot of people's problem with that, I don't want to spoil it but the payoff of what the climax is uh, I think for a lot of people was a huge disappointment. But for me with that film, it's more about the substance of what's in the middle of the film and not what's at the end of it that mm -hmm. makes the film beautiful and great. It doesn't matter what the ending is like. And I think people lose sight of that when they watch that film. And I understand why. But I got to say, man, what's great about that film, the performances are fantastic. Just to name a few, Philip Seymour Hoffman is awesome in it. Julianne Moore is fantastic. John C. Riley kind of steals it for me. Uh, yeah. And then, and then Tom Cruise. Holy crap! What a character Tom Cruise plays. It's fantastic, man. I, I love that entire movie. And uh, yeah, the soundtrack is incredible. Yeah, and we should mention there's a few other pop songs on the soundtrack that aren't from Amy Mann. There's a That's few yep. uh, Super Tramp songs on there. Oh and then, yes. There's that oh, one. Yeah, I, for, I forgot about Macy. Macy's in the film too. He's yeah. Whiz kid, Donnie something. I can't remember what his name is, but he's awesome. <laughs> one thing that really brought back memories when I was listening to this album actually was uh, the <laughs> that corny pop song that William H. Macy is listening to when he crashes his car is on this soundtrack. It's funny how you cannot hear something for years and years and years like over a decade and it's just like once you hear it it's like crystal clear in your memory it's just like i could picture the scene from the film in my mm -hmm. mind as i was hearing the song it's so funny yeah it's funny that soundtrack actually got me into super tramp i'd really never listened to them much i'd heard a few songs on the radio but breakfast in america is an incredible album and mm -hmm. uh, two of those songs are off of that so yeah fantastic and actually had that impact on me as well so kind of neat since you did pick my number one, I'm going to go ahead and pick another one. I had one in the <laughs> chamber just in case. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> so um, the other one is the Flash Gordon soundtrack by Queen. Oh, sure. Yeah. So good. Queen, I believe, actually did the Highlander soundtracks, too. So they were really into doing some soundtracks. But Flash Gordon is an awesome soundtrack and just has some wonderful, unforgettable songs on it. It's as cheesy as the movie is, in fact, and uh, just fits really, really well. But at the same time, is an album I can listen to outside of the film, and it's definitely pure Queen, you know? 
Oh yeah, totally. Now this was on my list of like maybes, but I just didn't have time to listen. I definitely remember the like title theme song, but uh, I didn't have time to review this one while I was uh, trying to compose my list, but I'll definitely have to queue it up at some point. Awesome. Well, before we get into honorable mentions, maybe we should mention the one that you and I both agreed not to put on our list. You came up with it, and I was like, oh my god, that's such a great pick. Do you remember? Uh, I don't, actually. What was it? Batman soundtrack, man, with Prince. Oh, sure. So, it's funny. I actually listened to it, and I was like, ah, you know what? It's really good, but of the other stuff I've listened to, I ended up not putting it on my list. It actually has, I don't want to say like low points, but like the lesser tracks just aren't even close to the really good tracks. It's hard to explain. Like, Yeah, no, I get it. It's a Prince album, but the highs are too high. Mm-hmm. You know, like Party Man and Just and... And Bat Dance. And Bat Dance. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and it's great to listen to if you're a fan of Batman 89. I know uh, our friend Crabmaster2000 recently watched that movie for the first time and was not a fan, which is totally understandable. I have an ultimate amount of nostalgia for Batman 89, so... There's little snippets and sound bites from the movie all over this soundtrack, which makes it fun to listen to for somebody who has a movie like in their DNA like I do. So it's definitely an enjoyable listen. But then, you know, like I said, just some of the tracks, like if you take it from the point of view of an album is only as good as its worst song, which I don't necessarily believe in. But in a certain way, there's some weak links in that album. Yeah. And going back to Batman and Kelsey being completely wrong. (laughs) The problem is like watching it now and having not seen it back then, you didn't experience the culture that came with it. It was explosive. And the fact that superhero movies really weren't a thing when that came out, you know, that is like kind of what kicked it off. That was the big blockbuster that just completely blew everything out of the water that summer. And it's sort of like the Blair Witch Project. If you didn't see it back then, it comes off as kind of silly now because of all the stuff that was behind it. Yeah, again, Kelsey, you're just wrong. (laughs) Yeah, and now somebody's (laughs) going to say, but we had the Superman movies, and I'll just say they were before my time. Like, I I had never seen the Superman movies. Good soundtrack, though. John Williams, who also did Star Wars. Fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I agree with the Blair Witch thing, too. That's a perfect example. Like, that movie scared the absolute shit out of me. I, I'm not afraid to admit it. Again, I was a teenager, and I remember I went to see that movie with my girlfriend, and I had a long drive home after I dropped her off, and I was just scared to death. Like, oh, I hope I get home without the, the Blair Witch getting me. I swear to God, I was so I did scared. not see it in the theater. Um, <laughs> and this is, this is one that we visited on our podcast, She Hate Horror. And we watched it later, and it wasn't really scary. But I do remember the time and it going on. And the reason I didn't go see it in the theater was because I heard all this stuff about people getting motion sickness. And I know that I would have been one of those people. And that's really why I didn't go to the theater and see it at the time. But now, looking back, man, it's something I really, really missed out on. And I hate I did. But Mm. um, yeah, enough of that. We're really getting sidetracked here. So uh, let's go with our honorable mention, Sean. Do you want to kick a few off for us? Sure. One of the other first things that came to my mind is there's some indie movie, I think it was in the 80s or 90s, called Made in USA, and Sonic Youth did the soundtrack album to it. But I couldn't really choose it because it's not 
you know, I can't put it out there as like, hey, this is a good Sonic Youth album. There's a lot of like instrumental tracks and it's decent. I used to listen to it a lot, but just noteworthy because when I was looking for like punk and indie bands and more underground stuff, that was like the only thing I could come up with. So, well, you know what? <laughs> I There's a few that I know you're going to say, but... Uh, <laughs> really? Well, you know, the RZA scores a lot of films. So like Kill Bill and Ghost Dog. And I don't know if that oh, counts, like awesome. all yeah. the work he did on those films. Plus, mm-hmm. when you were talking earlier about the uh, electronic stuff, there's Daft Punk with the Tron soundtrack yes, that they did. that's on my list. Fantastic. Okay. And then uh, Trent Reznor has done a lot of film work. Mm-hmm. He did uh, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and a, and a few other ones. He won uh, for Social Network. Social Network, yep. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. that's the other one I was trying to think of. Those are good. And then Karen O did that soundtrack for Where the Wild Things Are. Um, that's really decent. Yep. And <laughs> one more, they just keep popping into my head, uh, the Eddie Vedder solo into the wild uh soundtrack that he did was okay i know you like you're a pearl jam fan and i am too to a certain extent but the this for this it's like mostly acoustic like some like ukulele stuff and but there's some good songs on it (laughs) (laughs) not for me really but uh, yeah it's not bad um yeah i had a few more that made the list as well I asked my wife, actually, to pick one and had her think about it. She's been pondering this all day. And uh, she actually picked the Labyrinth soundtrack by David Bowie, which I thought was, you know, an interesting pick. Yeah, I was looking because I was curious if The Man Who Fell to Earth, if the soundtrack to that movie was either low or station to station, because I know, like, you know, the cover art from both of those albums is from that movie, so... Mm I didn't know if those albums were connected to the film, but they're really not. It's just that all of that stuff was made around the same time. Yeah. But we got Bowie onto the list again, so that's good. (laughs) You can't go wrong with too much Bowie. No, not at all. One of the other ones that uh, she thought about was Royal Tenenbaums, which was done by Mark Mothersbaugh, which uh, we mentioned on the last show. Yeah. He was a guy with Devo. The Graduate with Simon and Garfunkel Yeah, uh, is a great soundtrack. But then uh, the last one that I want to mention is one that's a more recent soundtrack, and it's fantastic. And it's from the movie It Follows. Disaster Piece did the soundtrack for that. If you like creepy electronic stuff, it will be right up your alley. And if you haven't checked it out, Sean, I highly recommend that one. Nice. I saw the movie, and I do remember some of the music, but I never listened to it. So that could be cool. But that's it for me, man. Awesome. That was a good one. I thought it would be kind of a mess, but you know, I actually kind of like that we both picked Magnolia because that album is really just magnificent and very special. So it's kind of cool that we both picked it. Yeah, I don't think it can be topped (laughs) as far as, uh, you know, someone who did a soundtrack primarily for one movie. I don't think it gets better than that. Yeah.
right, so let's roll into news here. It looks like we got a book review coming out, right, Rich? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you listen to the show, you know that Sean and I are huge fans of Haruki Murakami. We've both read IQ84 and uh, several of his other books. He put out a book in 2017, his most recent novel, called Killing Commendatory. And uh, I went to the beach in August, and when I go, I always try to take a book. I don't know why in the hell I take a book. I've got three kids that I have to keep an eye on the whole time. But, you know, at, at night, after they're in the bed, I like to sit out on the porch or, you know, sit in the living room at our friend's beach house and uh, read. So I picked up this book. It's his latest. I've read every novel by him except for the novella Pinball, and that's the last one I need to finish that I'm actually working on now. But... um yeah, I picked up this book just knowing I love this guy's work. And I got to tell you, Sean, it's one of the best books he's ever written. I highly That's recommend awesome. this book. I, I don't know if you've heard of it or, or want to know what it's about or have read it, but it's so good. It has a lot of the same types of themes and characters that he typically uses. But um, it's just that whole idea of uh, magical realism. You know, it seems like a story that could happen anywhere. It's always set in Japan, but it never feels Japanese to me. But in certain spots, there's this fantasy aspect that pops into it that just gives it a touch of class and makes the book really interesting. This is one I would put really high up on my list of my favorite books of all time and by him. So I would definitely say check this one out. It's awesome, man. I got to catch up on uh, my Murakami. I haven't read any of his in a while. In all honesty, I think I've only read like three of his novels. Or I read two novels and then I read the history of the sarin gas attacks that he did, yeah. which was really good, but it's very disturbing, of course. But yeah, I, I, I got a lot of catching up to do with my Murakami. I got a bunch on the shelf, like physical too. So, Have you read his memoirs about running, like being a runner? No, and I'm kicking myself. I saw it at like a yard sale once and I don't know why the hell I didn't buy it. I think maybe at the time I didn't know who he was. And I, I think it was just like, oh, a book about running. That might be cool. Nah, I don't need it. I don't think I knew about him <laughs> that yet. That would be interesting. Yeah. Right, right. But that's good too. Uh, I've never read it. Uh, I haven't read any of his nonfiction. Oh, okay. But, you know, just knowing that you're a runner, I, I thought yeah. you might really enjoy it. Yeah, that's what I, I should get it. it. I mean, he, he's never written anything bad, in my yeah, opinion. No, that's so, true. Uh, it'd be totally worth checking out. Cool. Well, one thing I wanted to talk about, the biggest news, and when I... Do you mean me reading that book isn't the biggest news? <laughs> no, it was a good way to kick <laughs> off the, the news topic. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, actually when I put this in the notes, it had only been the Xbox that has been revealed. Now I want to, I want to pitch something to you because I've, I thought about this and I noticed people doing this like kind of organically and I thought it was kind of cool. It's one of those things that like I kind of had a thought in my head and then as I realized like more and more people kind of doing it anyway. So I feel like people are complaining about the kind of naming conventions that Microsoft is doing like Xbox one X, Xbox one S Xbox series X, Xbox series, blah, blah, blah. So I think people are just starting to call it the series like, or Xbox series. 
And that like cleared it up for me like instantly. So you got the OG Xbox, however you want to call it, Xbox 360, Xbox One, and Xbox Series. And then everything else is just a different skew of whatever that platform is. You know what I mean? So here two four, we will refer to them that way. Okay. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> so the big news was that the Xbox Series, they said that it leaked. And then like... A few hours later, Xbox was making these kind of cheeky tweets about the quote-unquote leak, and then they officially announced that they had this Xbox Series, whatever the least expensive trim was of it, was going to launch at $399. No, it was $299, right? Yeah. That's about uh, so this drive. $300 with no drive, and mm-hmm. people went absolutely nuts because that's very economical for a brand new system. Even without a drive, I think $300 is a really low price for a brand new gaming console. Yeah, it's well, cheap for a computer. <laughs> is, that, is that what oh, you're... Oh, did I say that out loud? <laughs> is that what you're going with? Because that, that would be really cheap for a, a gaming PC. Well, I mean, it's what it is, right? A computer that you play games on. I mean, it doesn't have a disk drive. There's no real hardware you can put in it. Or Well, a lot of a lot of computers nowadays don't. It just doesn't have a keyboard. I guess that's your point, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. so few PCs have CD-ROMs now as an option. I would think you would kind of liken it more to like a streaming box or a Amazon Fire Stick that plays games kind of thing. So you weren't impressed by the hardware, not even at that low price point. No, because I don't have any interest in not having physical media. You know, for me, it's just a preference. You know, I understand people don't need physical media in their lives. I know that people like to downsize and not have clutter and that sort of thing. And, you know, that completely makes sense. But it's just not for me. They released the price point for their system with the drive. Um, Am I jumping the gun here as far as going into this? But No, uh, yeah, go for it. But uh, they went with four ninety nine. And what's kind of nutty to me is that the one with the drive has more memory in it. And it's like, don't you want more memory if you're only downloading stuff? I don't know. It just seemed a little backwards to me. No. So there's probably people are probably going to kill us because I'm sure there's technical specs that people will justify that four ninety nine price tag for the Series X, mm. which is the big refrigerator box yeah it's more ram as well yeah so i actually get what you're saying like shouldn't the digital one at least have more hard drive space and yeah the other thing that um i was watching uh metal jesus's video on this because uh, i didn't want to watch a oh, ton good of it. lord he was already making a uh, hidden gems of the xbox <laughs> series <laughs> No, you know, all the YouTubers had to come out with their, you know, what do I think of these console, whatever, like, which one am I going to get? But uh, he actually brought up a good point, courtesy of Kelsey Lewin, uh, because she was saying, it seems enticing to buy a cheaper console to get, and I'm paraphrasing her tweets or whatever, just so you know, like, it seems like it's cheaper to get the digital only, but... When you go on the PlayStation Store or the Microsoft Store, the games are like almost always full price and you don't get digital games at a discount. Now, all the companies have sales. It's true, especially and the, uh, God, 
Damn it, this doesn't apply to if you have a computer and a Steam account, Kevin, just stop. But um, the Microsoft and PlayStation Store, the games on them, they go on sale. But like most of the time, if it's something that you're just like, oh, I want to play this game that just came out. And then for months after it came out, it's going to be $60, right? Yeah. I mean, you can get it physically so much cheaper later on and the price just stays like through the roof on download only. Exactly. So that's that's kind of the point that she was making that, yeah, you might pay more for the one with the drive up front, but then you can buy, you know, those $60 games become 40 and then 20. And then depending on what the game it is, you can get it for $5 at five below or mark down even further at a game store. So I'm totally with that. Like at first I was like, oh, $2.99, that's like throwaway money. And I hate to sound like a dick like $300 is not a lot of money. It is, but for like a game console, it's like, oh, that's not bad at all. I could grab one of those, right? Yeah. And it's like... You just have Jeeves go out and pick it up for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just throw it in the Lambo. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I was kind of brought down to earth after like kind of thinking about it in that way is that digital games just tend not to be cheap on the console uh, ecosystem you know yep i totally agree it's a great point and that's something that'll come up later in both of our scores so foreshadowing there a little bit so then actually a couple of days later they had the the big playstation 5 reveal event and everybody's excited the playstation everybody's already 5. pre-ordered them and... <laughs> right they're trying to at least uh, apparently there were some problems with that but yeah. we won't get into that but yeah playstation 5 came in a little bit more expensive but at first everybody's like oh my god it's more expensive deal breaker like playstation's dead like you know i saw some of that but it looks like like people are just like no i want a ps5 like i'd prefer that i like sony and some people are like no i like xbox like i don't think price is as much of a factor i think brand loyalty and you know if you prefer the platforms of sony versus microsoft more you're gonna pay more if that's what you like so Mm -hmm. i know you and i won't get them for like two years after they come out but yeah and i won't plug it up for another three years (laughs) that's right (laughs) (laughs) that's right because it doesn't have the uh the coaxials (laughs) (laughs) uh but i mean the price reveal was the same as the xbox i mean 4.99 right the same price as the disk drive xbox but not the um computer streaming box Right, the no-disc version was more expensive. I guess that's a more appropriate way to put it. Yeah, so we shall see. We shall see. I think it's going to be very exciting. And uh, I don't know. I watched some game trailers and, you know, our listeners know kind of the way I am and the way you are. Like, Mm -hmm. it's got to be within reach for me to get, like, excited about it. You know, some games coming out on some system that I'm not going to buy for a couple of years. It's kind of neat, but it's like, I'll be happy to watch like a five minute YouTube review on some of these games just to see what, like what's going on in the world. But I was going to ask you like what games you're excited for, but I can't name any myself. So I can't, I mean, I always feel like Sony has the best uh, first party exclusives and uh series too, that, that I really enjoy. So I've always just been a Sony fan, and um, at some point I will buy that big white vagina, but uh, you know it won't be for the ne- <laughs> won't be for the next three or four years. It'd probably be like a year before the PS6 comes out. There you go. 
Christ. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Well, enough about big white vaginas. It looks like you've got something (laughs) here Uh, about Scott Pilgrim coming back. Tell me more. Tell me more. Yeah, well, I just wanted to talk about this briefly because it's something that we've touched upon before with things like DuckTales Remastered, you know, coming and going off these very storefronts that we're talking about, these digital storefronts like the PlayStation Store and the Microsoft Store. Mm-hmm. Well, it was announced that uh, whatever licensing that Ubisoft was having a problem with with Scott Pilgrim, it must be resolved because they're going to put it back up on those stores. This was one of those like lost unicorn games that everybody wishes they could play, but you couldn't unless you had a jailbroken console. Just as an aside, I think this is one of those games that kind of had elevated status because nobody was able to play it. So it came off as it was like this great, great game. And I think there's always a kind of a sense of that when a game is hard to get your hands on that the expectations for it get higher because you just want to play it because it's not easy to get to play it. And so people are like, Oh man, yeah, that game was great. You know, that game was awesome. And it's like, Oh, too bad. I can't play it. Huh? And I think that happens a lot. I will say like when Sonic CD, like when the Sega CD was the only platform you could play it on, it was very hyped and very, like highly spoken of and then it's on all the digital stores and it even had like those GameCube uh it was on one of those GameCube collections a, a while ago that was then ported to all the other systems and it's like yeah Sonic CD is pretty decent and it tried to do some interesting things with the mechanics but it's just like it's just like any other Sonic game you know what i mean but at the time when it was only on the Sega CD it was like oh god this is the best Sonic game of all time you don't know what you're missing you know what i mean yeah. And I think there's an element to that with this Scott Pilgrim game because it's like, it's okay. It's really not that great. <laughs> I there, I said it. A lot of Scott Pilgrim fans. I did like the movie, though. I thought it was really well done. Now I'm going to really piss people off. That's the only Edgar Wright film that I like. I think he's one of the most overrated filmmakers of our modern times. I think you his heard movies it here are, first, folks. Yep. <laughs> His movies in general are super, super overrated, except for Scott Pilgrim. Tell me how you really feel. <laughs> no, that's as far as I'm going to go, because I know people's <laughs> blood vessels are exploding right now. Well, at least we'll get some attention. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, the next thing I wanted to talk about is something that I've been doing lately. There's been a store that's opened up about two miles from my house, which is cool. Very convenient for me to go there. It's a small place. The owner uh, seems to be a nice guy. And, you know, I frequent it so much. He already knows who I am, uh, which is pretty typical with me and game stores. I introduced him to RF Generation and told him what I did. And he wanted me to go in with him and start a few things at his store, one being a monthly trade night. So we're going to start doing first Fridays where people can come and swap games, which is going to be cool. Be out in front of the store. But, uh, you know, hopefully it'll get him some foot traffic because when you have several game stores in your community, you always want to see them do well, you know. 
And um, the other thing that we talked about was probably about two years ago, we had our second video game convention in town, and it just sort of abruptly ended, and they decided they didn't want to do it anymore. And there's really nothing for people who love video games to do and to get together, so what we decided to do is that his store has a an enormous parking lot, so we are doing an outdoor flea market, which is perfect, you know, with everything that's going on with uh, the pandemic right now. And we are having a show where people can come and buy booths. They're only $5 a space, bring their own tables, and they set up and they sell stuff. And the $5 goes to covering the fee that the property management is charging to do the parking lot. And we're going to have video games, vintage toys, vinyl, hopefully some arcade parts, comic books, and just other geeky stuff. And so we're calling it Guilford Geekapalooza. Hopefully we can have it twice a year, once in the fall, once in the spring. Some of the guys over at the Cartridge Club have something similar they do in Barry, And, you know, I kind of took that and realized that that's something I would really like to do and something I would really like to get involved in. You know, I announced this on Facebook and in some other places just a few days ago, and I've probably already got about 14 vendors ready to rock and roll. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a great time, man, and I hope it does really well. Guilford County is sort of in the middle of the state, so people from Raleigh are on one side, people from Charlotte on the other. It's kind of equidistant, and so hopefully we can draw from those two crowds in those two big cities. And, uh, yeah, it should be a great time, uh, and I'm hoping to... Uh, come back and tell everyone how it went. It's actually on Saturday, October the 17th in Summerfield, North Carolina. If anybody lives close, please stop by. That sounds really fun. Congratulations on that. I hope it goes well. And uh, I hope everybody's just safe. I know you're going to take all the proper precautions and we are. Uh, I think it's going to be really cool. Like that's such a cool idea and it's, it's awesome to get involved with something like that. So good luck. Thank you. Uh, we're going to ask our vendors to wear a mask if they can. And, you know, our booth spaces are going to be parking lot spaces. So we're going to stagger them every other space just to give some room. Try to be safe and, and do everything the right way if we can.
All right. Well, you want to roll into pickups? I actually have quite a few. Really? Yeah, believe it or not. I mean, quite a few comparatively to what I've had <laughs> lately, which is nothing. So, yeah, I, I have a few. Awesome. Uh, so, I talked last month about the TCL TV, the 55-inch flat-screen Roku-enabled TV that I ordered based on your advice and the advice of some of our other friends, including Adam. And uh, I got it, and man, I love it. It's so cool. Good to know. Mine's still in the box. Oh, man, you got to set that thing up. <laughs> we got the same one, actually, which is pretty cool. Same size and everything, yeah. Now, are you familiar with the Roku in general, like the platform? Do you have one? or I had one when they first came out. Oh, yeah. okay. So you yeah. kind of get the idea. Not the smart but... TV version, but yeah. Yeah. So my wife and I have had Rokus over the years, but they've always been in the bedroom so that uh, my wife could watch Netflix and stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. And... I never realized how much I needed one in my living room because I watch a lot of YouTube and I watch some Netflix and some Amazon video and other platforms, yep. but I watch them on my PS3 and PS4. And you know what that does just runs the fans on those machines. So you can, yeah. you know, so you can watch a freaking YouTube video. It seems so wasteful. The other thing about it that I hate is that like, on the PS4 controller or the PS3 controller, you're just eating the battery on your controllers because I'm so lazy. I'm not going to turn off the controller every time I start watching a two-minute YouTube video, you know? So I just let the controller sit there on and it just eats the battery. So having a Roku TV, it's so awesome now. The TV's connected to the Wi-Fi and the Roku is the operating system of the TV. So... Yeah. You just go in, go to YouTube, Netflix, whatever. There's this one called Pluto TV, and I have to shout out. I can't remember. It was one of the Cartridge Club folks on Twitter. I think it was Mighty Q Dog, or maybe it was Hodge. We were talking about Unsolved Mysteries, and he said, if you download Pluto TV on the Roku, there's a 24-7 classic Unsolved Mysteries channel, and it's just the <laughs> Robert Stack episodes of Unsolved Mysteries, and it's so awesome. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of those offbeat channels are so good, and they, they play some great stuff, especially the stuff that really drives our nostalgia. Yeah. So, yeah, that's been great, that TV. Knock on wood, so far, so good. No issues. Uh, so thanks for the recommendation. Yeah. So I bought something called the Metal Gear Legacy Collection on the PlayStation 3. Now, this one is kind of hard to remember what actually went on with this collection, but I think that when it launched, it was like kind of hard to get. And if you look at price charting, the price is kind of all over the place, but I remember it being like really expensive and hard to find for a while. And I don't know why, but I just kind of looked it up at one point for some reason, and I saw that it was being sold on Amazon for $30, which is like what the original retail or maybe lower than the original retail was supposed to be. So I looked and I had the Metal Gear HD collection, which has Metal Gear Solid 2 and 3 and Peace Walker on the PS3 version, right? Yeah. The Metal Gear Legacy collection has all those games, plus Metal Gear Solid 4, plus all the old games, plus Metal Gear Solid, Metal Gear Solid VR missions, and I believe it's the only place 
besides owning an actual MSX computer to play the original Metal Gear and the second Metal Gear Solid Snake, I think it was called. Snake's Revenge. That's the like bad NES version, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think those are on there, but that's like a version of that game, right? So anyway, these MSX ports are on there. And again, I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure they're the only way to uh, officially play them without owning the original hardware. So if it's not, someone will let us know. Sure. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) so that made this collection really attractive to me. One of the things that I was like cautious about was okay, how many of these games are on the disc and how many do I have to download? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. As it turns out, the only game that you need to download, if I remember correctly, that's not on the disc is Metal Gear Solid, the PlayStation game, which is fine. Like I own a physical copy of that on the PS1, so I was okay with that. So apparently everything else is on the disc. The real kicker though is that I bought this thing off of Amazon for 30 bucks and then I sold the Metal Gear Solid HD collection for 25 bucks. So it's like I just traded them out basically and uh, got way more games in, in a better collection. So that was a cool flip and it you know hardly cost me anything. And plus Psycho Manus reads all the data on your PS3. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and the next thing I got kind of ties into the odd digital world that we live in. So I've talked about playing Lara Croft and the Guardian of Light with my wife, and it's a game that we both really highly enjoyed. So I found out that there's a sequel to that game called Lara Croft and the Temple of Osiris. So I went on the PlayStation Store, and I wanted to download Lara Croft and the Temple of Osiris. So I looked at this SKU on the PlayStation Store that included the season pass, and it was... $29.99. So I was like, whoa, man, 30 bucks for this digital game. That's kind of stiff. So I looked online and said, maybe I can just get a used disc, right? Well, they never pressed a disc for this game, at least not in North America. I've heard tell that there's a European disc, but then I saw the listing for the European disc on Amazon. People were ordering them and still just getting the North American version that doesn't have a disc. So I was like, I'm not going to risk that, not knowing whether I'm getting that European version that's an actual disc. So anyway, I ordered a code in a box for about eight bucks and it's the stupidest damn thing. And now I understand like... You know, with these code-in-a-box games that everybody kind of complains about, it was just like, I bought this because it was cheaper, but now I have an empty case. Like, yeah, I guess I got a spare case if in case one of my PS4 cases breaks or whatever, but this is really just the dumbest thing. It's just like the height of, like, stupid consumerism, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, I go to punch in the code to download the game, and it tells me, you already own this game. Because I didn't do my due diligence and look through my download queue, which has over 1,100 games in it, to see that I already had at some point, whether it was PlayStation Plus or if I got it on a sale, I already had Lara Croft and the Temple of Osiris. So, <laughs> so now I'm the proud papa of this game that you have bestowed upon me. Yeah, that was actually my last score. So if you want to take that as your first score, 
I just messaged you this morning. Hey, you want the code for this game? I messed up and I already had it. So <laughs> it's a four player game. So maybe we could all get online and, and try it out. Yeah, you don't want my wife doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I love her, but she's not a gamer. All right, so that was an awesome gift from Sean. I've not downloaded it yet, but I do have the code, and um, I'm interested to check it out. And I definitely um, want to look for Lara Croft in the Guardian of Light, just because it's something you've been talking about a lot, and I would like my wife to try it out. I love puzzle games, so yeah, this is uh, definitely right up my alley. I did want to mention some pickups I got from you, Sean, to start it off. And uh, I'm not a big N64 guy, but I did pick up a few games from you. You were selling some stuff. You had a copy of Blast Corps and Banjo-Kazooie. I had sold both of those games a while back when our friend Crabmaster opened his store. I sent those up to Canada to help him with some stock. Really glad to have those back in my collection. I really enjoyed playing Conkers when we did that playthrough, and I wanted to check out the Banjo-Kazooie series. I also picked up locally uh, Banjo-Tooie at the new store that opened up. For the Switch, I'm still picking up a ton of games. Yesterday, I picked up Mutant League Football, which I love on the Genesis and wanted to check out a modern version of it. I had $10 in gift certificates, and I think ended up paying $10 for this game. And I said, why not? Let's go ahead and use those certificates before I lose them through GameStop. So I don't know if you know about this. But when you get your yearly membership to GameStop, you get $5 a month to spend on games. Well, if you don't spend it by like the 15th of the following month, you lose your money. So be careful out there if you have that. I think what a lot of people do is they will buy a gift card and put the money on a gift card and just let it add up. So that's one way you can get around the system if the employees let you do that. I actually got rid of some games, Sean. I got oh, rid of some GameCube stuff. Yeah. Uh, GameCube stuff is really high. It felt nice to get rid of a few things. I wasn't playing. I got rid of yeah. Killer 7 on the GameCube because I have it on the PS2. So I have no need to say the GameCube version is so much better. I don't care because the GameCube <laughs> version sells for twice as much. Yes. And so I was able to trade that one game for Luigi's Mansion 3 and Mario Rabbit's Kingdom Battle. I got those two games in a straight-up trade at this game store who does great trades. I did some other stuff. I traded Godzilla, don't hate me, Sean, Destroy All Monsters, I believe is the title for the GameCube, mm -hmm. and uh, some other game, uh, plus the guy game for PS2. I'm embarrassed to say I own that. And uh, I got Animal Crossing for my son. He's been wanting this game for a while. Some of his friends are playing it. And I just kind of felt like it's that type of game where if he doesn't play it now, once he finally gets it, when it gets cheap enough, people aren't really going to be playing it anymore, you know? Yes. So I just wanted him to have that experience and traded some of my games for that because I'm a good fucking dad. <laughs> and then I got Cave Story Plus. Cave Story is a game that I really, really like. I have it on the 3DS, but the problem with it on the 3DS is the sprites are so small and the levels are so intricate that it becomes really hard to play. But I really, really love the game. And so what I decided to do is just get it on the Switch. I think I got it for about 20 bucks. You know, at least now I can play it on a big screen and enjoy it a lot more once I get that 50-inch TV put up on the wall. And then I've been getting a lot of PS1 games. I really, really love the PS1. I have such a huge nostalgia for it. And I'm trying to knock 
all the games off my wish list for the PS1, so I can say I'm pretty much done with that unless Metal Jesus does another Hidden Gems video. <laughs> so I picked up Ninja Shadow of Darkness. I picked up the game 1, which I hear is a great game. I've never played it. Monkey Magic, Vanark, which is a shooter. It's supposed to be really cool. Trap Gunner by Atlas, which is a really neat game. Project Horned Owl, which I got off of eBay. And what's cool about this is it has Sony Entertainment Corporation written on the case. It has it written on the disc. And then it also has a hole drilled through the spine of it. And so this was an actual copy owned by Sony Entertainment. And I thought that was really cool. People didn't want to bid on it because it was kind of vandalized and everybody wants their collections to look perfect. And for me, it was like, this is a cool piece of history, you know? And, yeah. uh, you know, it plays. I love it. I think, you know, it was a hell of a deal and um, it's really cool. Most of the games that I'm talking about, I picked up in groups and one of those was Soul of the Samurai. And then the final PS1 game, this is one I've been looking for for months and months, I'm really happy to have this one. I had done some selling of some of my other stuff as well online, and I got a copy of Adventures of Lomax, which is a really neat platformer. And yeah, man, just continuing to bang away at that PS1 collection until I'm able to get everything off my wish list. And then the final thing, uh, a buddy of mine actually picked up a Miss Pack cab. And so now I am the proud papa of a Miss Pac-Man. I'm really, really stoked to have that. I was going to turn it into a multicade, but now I'm like, oh man, it's an original Miss Pac-Man. I don't, I don't think I can do that, so I'm not going to turn it into a multicade. But now I have a Miss Pac that's over at my neighbor's house who I was talking about. He's going to uh, do a recap of the monitor and fix it up for me. Sean, you've met me before, and I have really bad hand tremors, which a lot of people, when they meet me, they notice that. This is something that's um, hereditary, and it's gotten worse with age, and uh, I really just can't do any of that really intricate board work, so my neighbor's being kind enough to do that for me, which I really appreciate, and, uh, you know, we'll definitely pay him for his services. But, uh, yeah, man, um, adding a Miss Pack to the arcade, which is going to be really awesome. That is awesome. And I want to just say thank you for kind of pointing out to me that killer seven on the gamecube was a somewhat valuable game because i sold that shit like instantaneously <laughs> and i don't even own it on the ps2 or any other console i'm just i just said you know what i'll probably never play this game so let's just get rid of it yeah i'm looking at stuff right now and i'm thinking of getting rid of all of my mario party games i'm like i don't think i'm gonna play those you know what's funny I'm sorry to cut you off, but I had Mario Party 5 and 7 on the GameCube. And for a long time, I was like, got to get Mario Party 6, got to get Mario Party 6. And then one day it dawned on me, no, get rid of 5 and 7 and you're done with it. Like sell 5 and 7 and you won't have this crisis of you have to get Mario Party 6. You know what I mean? Like just get rid of them. Yeah, I've <laughs> got four, five, six, and 7. There were four, right? On the GameCube. I think you're right. I have all of those, and I'm like, I want to keep the ones for the N64 because they're the original ones, and I feel like it might be something we do in a playthrough at some point, but I don't ever see us going to the GameCube to do that playthrough. And so I'm looking at stuff now, especially with GameCube where the prices are so high, and thinking, is this something that we might do during a playthrough at some time? And that's sort of how I'm looking at those things. Now, like my NES, Atari, ColecoVision, SNES, PS1... 
Sega Master. I mean, those collections I will not touch. I love those. I have a lot of nostalgia for it, but I think some of the love for consoles that I don't really play or have a lot of nostalgia for is kind of wearing off on me as a collector. I hate to admit that, but that's kind of where I'm at right now. No, man, dude. (laughs) Trust me, I get it. (laughs) I mean, I can sell those Mario Party games and get the PS1 games I want to help with that collection, and that's you know really what I'm planning to do right now. So, yeah, it's funny you mentioned selling off the guy game and it just it <laughs> went through my head. You must have at one point thought, oh, this game is rare and is controversial and it has all this like history to it. I have to have this in my collection. And you grabbed it. And then yeah. you had a moment recently where you were like, why the hell do I have this? Uh, I honestly I just wanted to see. T- <laughs> <laughs> because a raunchy <laughs> Xbox game is the best way to, to do that. PS2. <laughs> okay, PS2. Come on, class it up, man. Not Xbox. <laughs> right. Slop video. It's good. It's good stuff. Well, <laughs> on that note, let's roll into what do you play? I mean, where do you go from there? <laughs> Well, I got to say, Rich, this month of September is the first time that I've logged games that I've finished since June of this year. Nice. It really like kind of hurts to look and see that in July and August, I didn't finish any games. And I was definitely playing games, you know, all kinds of games that I just didn't roll the credits on. So, yeah, in September, I've been doing pretty well. I've I've knocked out a bunch of games. So... I am playing a game called Fallout New Vegas, which our listeners are surely familiar with, but it's also noteworthy to the show because when we had Dougley007 on the show, when we listed our games of the decade, this was his game of the decade for 2010 to 2019. It did come out in 2010. So uh, Fallout New Vegas is a game that I really love. I played Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas in 2015, and I just fell in love with both of those games. I saw that the Quick Save Club was doing Fallout New Vegas, and I retweeted that announcement, and I said, man, I wish I had more time to play this game or a good excuse to play it or something like that. And uh, they tweeted back at me, well, we're looking for a guest for the show. So, ah, <laughs> so nice. I, I messaged uh, Josh, and I'm going to be on the Quick Save Club to talk about Fallout New Vegas with Josh and Kevin and whoever else is on on the episode. And I'm really looking forward to it because I've just been playing the heck out of this game. I already beat it, but then I went back and I did one of the DLCs and then now I'm going to go back and do uh, some of the other ones. It's just, uh, just a great game, so special. So if you want to hear more about my thoughts on this game in a, in a longer form, just look out for the Quick Save Club podcast in a future episode on Fallout New Vegas. So some of the other things, Lara Croft and the Guardian of Light. Uh, yeah, my wife and I finally finished that game. And man, it was one of my like proudest moments as a gaming husband because I got to tell you, and I, I just want our listeners to understand how like how proud I am of my wife from where she went at the beginning of the game, just trying to get a grasp on the controls of the game because 
It's very similar to Darksiders Genesis, Rich, where it's a top-down Diablo-style game where when you're playing on a console, every button counts and every button does something. You know, my wife is not this like super advanced gamer. She does like mobile games and some PC games, but uh, when we started this game, she had a really hard time with movement and with choosing her weapons. There's a system in this game where you have a default weapon that has unlimited ammo, but then you have better weapons that you can switch to, but they have limited ammo. So once you run out of the limited ammo, it automatically switches back to your default weapon. And uh, every time it would switch back to her default weapon, she'd have a hard time, you know, going back to the better weapon. Since it's like a co-op puzzle game, there's these things where her character would have to like hold out a shield, but also face the right way. And she had problems with like the twin stick movement, let's say. So like using the right stick to face a certain direction was challenging for her. But as we played the game week after week, we would do like one or two levels at a time every weekend. And she just got better and better at it. And finally, by like towards the end of the game, she was just, you know, whipping out a grenade launcher and blasting away, you know, running around with her shield, just playing it great. Like a seasoned gamer would approach the game. (laughs) And the defining moment of this playthrough was we were at the final boss and the final boss did this like huge like spread attack, just like a 360 spread out of his body that was really, really hard to avoid. And I was like dodge rolling and running around and trying to shoot and run and dodge roll and all this stuff. And I ended up getting KO'd when the boss was really low on energy. And as I'm like, look to the other side of the screen, I see my wife just blasting away at this mofo with a grenade launcher, just (laughs) pummeling him with grenades and took him out. So she beat the game while I was on my ass dead. And it was just such an awesome moment. One of the like coolest gaming moments I've had in a long time. I was so proud. I was like, yeah, we were like high-fiving each other. It was so awesome. So yeah, I I can't recommend this game enough if you're looking for a good couch co-op game with a little bit of action, a little bit of puzzles, and not too many moments that made me say like, oh man, this is a pain in the ass. Like there were a few, but not very many. It's a very like smooth playing game, even for somebody who doesn't like puzzles like me. Awesome, man. Yeah. Um, And then I just want to talk about one other thing. Now, Rich, you had a Switch, and you broke it, and then you got another one. (laughs) My kids broke the damn thing. (laughs) I know. I'm teasing you. You have a Switch now, and I, as you said in scores, you're grabbing games for it everywhere. Have you gone on the eShop and looked at, like, sorted by low price? No. Okay, so I've talked about this on the show in the past, like... The Nintendo eShop is kind of infamous for having these games that are like under 10 cents. And there are games that are like 99 cents, but it's like, okay, like all the digital stores have stuff like that. But there there are games that will just get marked down to like 3 cents or 9 cents or whatever. And there's actually kind of a dark side to this. Like the reason companies are doing this is they just spam the eShop with crappy games and then mark them at one cent. So everybody buys them and they they go up in the like bestseller ranks because of however Nintendo has it set up. So they become more visible by just making their game dirt cheap or free and everybody downloads it. So 
I'm kind of contributing to something that's some people view as a little bit nefarious, but I like to just throw $10 on my eShop account. And then over the next couple of months, I'll just go on like once a week and buy like one game that's like five cents or whatever. And it's been fun. And I've filled my switch system memory and my SD card with a bunch of garbage games that I'll never play. Congratulations. <laughs> now, some of them are kind of cool and fun and you can play them for like five minutes and whatever. But I think I stumbled upon like the first game that I've gotten this way that I could say like, wow, this is a really good game. And I actually want to talk about it on the podcast and like recommend it to people. It's Battle Cats, isn't it? No, I wish it was. I I don't know if that thing's on the Switch. I should look. No, this game is called One Person Story. And it's a puzzle game where there's this bouncing ball going up the screen. And it bounces through a corridor. It's like this hallway that goes up the screen. And you just bounce side to side. And the gameplay is actually just pressing, I forget what button, the A button or the B button or whatever it is, to open gates or retract spikes or just move certain obstacles so that the ball can bounce all the way to the top of the screen. It sounds very simple, and it is, but it gets really difficult. You have to get the timing right to like open the gate and then close it real quick to get the ball to bounce the right way and not hit the spikes. It's really cool, and it has this really like relaxing soundtrack. And then throughout the entire game, there's a voiceover reading these like, I don't want to say inspirational or motivational, but it's like, it's kind of a narrative. It's it's supposed to be a narrative about like the challenges and the rewards of a good friendship is what I read is what they were going for. So it has all these like weird messages that kind of are contextual within the gameplay that are like just kind of nice pleasantries. Like, for example, in the beginning of the game, one of the earlier levels, there's this like other ball bouncing around to the side. And when you open your gate, it opens their gate, but their ball just kind of like shoots off the screen. And it says, sometimes friends have to leave us. And then you go to the next screen and it turns dark. And then it says, after that, it seems dark, you know, like yeah. uh, stuff like that. And it's like on the surface, it's kind of like ham fisted and corny. But as you're playing the game, it's actually just really nice and just this like relaxing, meditative kind of experience. And then the game gets really difficult and like hair pulling, but it's a hundred levels and I'm like more than halfway through it. The first sitting I played like 35 out of the hundred levels because I liked it so much. And then this weekend I was playing it again and I got past level 50, but it's getting more and more difficult. But I recommend anybody who goes dumpster diving on the Nintendo eShop to look for one person story. It's a really cool game. And as far as what I'm playing, that's it. So, Rich, what have you been playing? Well, I've been playing uh, a little more Battle Cats. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It's cool. I'm enjoying it. I play it on the daily. It gets a little addictive sometimes, and I'm kind of in a little bit of a trench right now, but the game is kind of full of these like small trenches that you will get in every once in a while unless you pay to play, which I refuse to do. But it's not as bad as most games are and once you dig your way out of it a little bit and you get your characters powered up and better then you know you can kind of move on but there's all these really cool events i think i shared it with you and you got a little pumped about the evangelion am i screwing that up the name (laughs) 
Yeah, it, it, you're close. It's I pronounce it Evangelion. Evangelion. They did a mashup with the game and that series, which is pretty cool. I know nothing about it, so it was really over my head. And that's the cool thing about this game being Japanese is that they did another series with a Japanese pop star. And it was really cool, too. I, again, I don't, I don't know these characters or anything, but um, it's neat and uh, very fun and pretty cool when you get the super rare characters in the game, which always keeps it interesting. But enough about Battle Cats, because I talk about that every month. I was trying to remember games that I played this month, and I remembered one the other day, and then I forgot about it again. And lo and behold, I pulled it out of my ass <laughs> Just in time for the show, about an hour before, I actually downloaded Cuphead on the Switch. This is a oh, game that cool. I've been interested in for a long time. I love shooters. I love, love, love the art style of Cuphead. Those old, creepy-looking cartoons. I had played this at Bill's up in Connecticut a few years ago when it first came out. Actually, Kelsey's son taught me how to play it. He was much better at it than I was when uh, I played with him. Yeah, we just had a blast with it. I would love to have a physical copy of this game, but from what I understand, even the Xbox One game is not a physical copy. It's just a case with a download code in it, I believe. Man, I hate those. Yeah, I (laughs) I may be completely wrong about that, and someone can correct me and we'll have something for our show But yeah, man, I am really, really digging Cuphead. My son actually picked it up and started playing it today. And he was like, I just can't beat this like the first boss. I'm getting so close. I said, man, that is the point of this game. It's that you learn the battles. You keep doing them until you get it right. It's a tough game, but, you know, it's a good lesson in playing video games and how you have to keep trying and trying until you get over that hump. And, um... I think it's a good experience for him instead of playing these kind of softer games like Minecraft and stuff like that. Though the kid is a boss at Fortnite. I'll give him that. He's pretty good. Nice. time to move into our main discussion about our games of the month we played elite beat agents and rhythm heaven for the nintendo ds so we're going to start as usual with our question of the month which is 
If you created a rhythm game, what licensed song would have to be in it? And we added the caveat, don't worry about if the song has already been in a game, as nobody knows every song in every game. So I wanted to throw that in and, and you as well, because, yeah, there's hundreds of rhythm games out there and expansion packs and add-ons and really obscure stuff out there that a lot of your favorite songs might already be on a rhythm game and you just don't know about it. So, Especially like Guitar Hero or Rock Band. Yeah, exactly. So we just wanted to hear what song would you want to see in a rhythm game and paying no regard to if it might already be in one. So here we go. We had uh, our good friend Duke Togo at Collector Cast. He gives us two, Gold Fraps, Strict Machine, and... LCD sound systems, watch the tapes. Now, what's funny is LCD sound system is one of these bands that's been like elusive to me for a very long time. And then when we did our 2007 album list, which actually watched the tapes, this track is actually off that album from 2007. I listened to them and I tried to listen to them a lot and really get into them. And it's really funny because this music is like right up my alley, but I just didn't click with me. Yeah, I don't me know. Either. It's so weird. Like, Yeah, it was Pitchfork's number one for that year, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think so. And the, their other album, uh, This Is Happening, people just rave and rant about that album like as being one of the best albums of all time, I've heard people say. So... Yeah. I'm not knocking them. I don't have anything against them. And it's not like I dislike the music when I'm listening to it. There's some kind of weird thing where like the songs are too long or something like that. But mm-hmm. Chris likes them, which is awesome. So yeah. uh, those are his choices. Next, we have Easy Racer. He says, I realize most people haven't heard of them, but either 72 Hour Days or What Can I Say by Taxi Ride. Seriously underrated band. For a more mainstream audience, how about Gonna Fly Now, the theme from Rocky? And I got to say, I actually pulled up some Taxi Ride. I I looked them up via Spotify, and there's not a ton of their material on Spotify. But I listened to it, and it sounded like um, almost like 90s alternative, like radio rock, like an incubus kind of band, but more poppy. Uh, It was pretty neat. So thanks, Easy Razor, for the recommendation. Neo Magic Warrior says Superman by Goldfinger is too good to be contained by Tony Hawk alone. And that tweet is so high class that I had to retweet it onto our timeline because he is so right about that. And next we have Crabmaster 2000. Kelsey, he said, I want Voodoo by King Diamond playable in Donkey Konga 3. So bonus points for naming the game. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Donkey Konga 3 is not out yet. They only did two of those, right? I think he's saying if there's a third one, that has to be on it. I don't know if that's real or if that's just wishful thinking on his part, but they could definitely do like... um, with the Switch Joy-Cons, you could just kind of swing them back and forth as if you were hitting a bongo. So, mm-hmm. Or they could just release like Bluetooth donkey bongos for the Switch. That would be awesome. Yeah, why not? Uh, next we have our good friend Corey Robertson. He says, for me, it would have to be Junior Senior's song, Move Your Feet. I love this song, and I got to thank Corey every day of my life for bringing this song into it. Uh, are you familiar with the band or this track? No, I don't think so. 
Yeah, it's so good. I hope we can get that one into the show. It's one of those great like party songs that the, I mean, the song is called Move Your Feet and the song puts its money where its mouth is and really makes you want to move your feet. And lastly, we have uh, our last month's guest, Adam Bickley, Bickman, 2K. He says, this will come as no surprise to anyone who listened to last month's show, but the cult love removal machine for something less obvious. Let's go with either fly away or are you going to go my way by Lenny Kravitz. So that is it from Twitter. Uh, no responses from Instagram. Follow me at Sean Gray to get different kind of content than Twitter, <laughs> but I do ask all the questions over there as well. And I asked my wife the question, and she said she would want to play either Happy by Pharrell Williams or Hey Ya by Outkast, uh, the picks. Andre 3000 song. They're fun songs. Yeah, that was kind of her point. She said those songs just like kind of get me in a good mood. It would be fun to party with those songs in a video game. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking about how fucking depressing my pick is right now compared to those. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, you want to go? What do you What do you got? Sure, man. You know, this was a hard question for me to think of a song that I would want in a rhythm game, you know? So I was thinking something with like a cool bass line. And I'm sure you remember the movie Kids, mm-hmm. which was really creepy. But the song Natural One by Folk Implosion Hell is my yeah. pick. I love that song, man. Yeah. It's a really like emo song, of course. I remember seeing it in um, some of the emo clubs that I used to go to back in the day. But uh, I don't know, man. I think it has just a really, really catchy beat. And I I love that song. Totally. I love that song. Could qualify as a one-hit wonder in the same way some of my other indie bands did. Um, There were other people on that. I was going to say I think it was a dedicated soundtrack, but it wasn't now that I think about it. Wasn't one of the guys from Folk Implosion from another band? Like, I yeah, can't it's, remember it's uh, Lou Barlow from Dinosaur Jr. and oh, Sebado. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Oh, yeah. Lou Barlow put out some good stuff as well. Album Emo is one of my favorites. It's just basically home spelled backwards. That's a great album. Yeah, Lou Barlow is an extremely talented guy. I, I pretty much like all of his projects that he's ever been involved in, so... Speaking of really talented people, my pick, I can actually tie it into my next blog article, which should be coming out tomorrow. So by the time this episode airs, it'll be readily available on RF Generation. It's not coming out tomorrow. Okay. Well, tomorrow to the (laughs) listeners is two weeks ago or three weeks ago. So by the time anybody hears this, it'll definitely be on the site. I did a blog post on, I called it Forgotten Albums of the 2000s, and I just want to like make absolutely clear they're forgotten to me, and that was kind of the point of the article. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would encourage people to check that out. But one of the albums I reviewed was by an artist called Marnie Stern, and uh, I'm going to be honest, Rich, at least one of her albums should have been on my list of albums of the decade. It's like a glaring omission of mine. Two of her albums in particular, the self-titled album that came out in 2010, and then she had her last album so far came out in 2013. It's called The Chronicles of Marnia, (laughs) which is a really cute name for a great album. Yeah. In her self-titled album, and actually on a handful of her studio albums, 
she had Zach Hill on the drums. And Zach Hill, if you don't know, is he's in Death Grips. He was in this band called Hella. And he, in my mind, is one of the greatest drummers that ever lived. He's a psychopath on the drums. Like his specialty is playing like a crackhead. Like I can't explain. <laughs> like <laughs> I, I wrote in my article, like when you listen to that album, you say, how did two human beings do this with a guitar and a drum set? Like, it just doesn't make sense. You can't wrap your head around like what is going on. And that is why I think any song off of the self-titled album, but the opening track is called for Ash would be a really good song for a rhythm game. Because Marnie is a psychopath on the guitar and a, and a weird, out there kind of singer. She kind of wails and screeches and then sings real nice. And she's all over the place in like the best way. And she does all this guitar tapping and solos and crazy, really intricate stuff. Uh, Rich, I know you like the band Maps and Atlases. So yes. if you think of their like really early stuff with all the, mm. the mathy guitar like her music is not super similar to that but it's in the same vein and then again with zach hill's drumming all over it for this song to be in a rhythm game it would be hell to program it but it would be even more hellish to try and play it on plastic instruments so highly encourage people to go check out her music and uh to imagine yourself trying to play any of her songs on like a rock band game or a guitar hero <laughs> How about playing it on like the Guitar Hero for Game Boy Advance? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Put it on that. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, that was a good question. So, yeah, as I mentioned, we decided to kind of lighten it up for the end of the summer here. We wanted to do a handheld and... I suggested, why don't we do a, not one, but two rhythm games? Because they could be short, uh, especially if you are <laughs> if you struggle with them and can't beat them and <laughs> kind of throw them out the window. Uh, then they're really short. But uh, we did Elite Beat Agents and Rhythm Heaven. And uh, the participants were you, me, and Dougley007. Uh, we did have some commentary like Neo Magic Warrior tweeted that he would have liked to play these. He really loves these games, but he just didn't have time to join us. So he was with us in spirit as well. Yeah. So let's get into it. Rich, you took some really good notes on the nuts and bolts here. So you want to roll into that, the development of these titles? Absolutely. I'm going to attack these one at a time. The first game we played was Elite Beat Agents. This was developed by INIS and published by Nintendo for the DS. It was designed and directed by Kishi Yano, released in North America in November 2006, and was the spiritual sequel to Osu Tataki Oindan, which was a rhythm game with a cheerleading squad. So instead of agents, there would be like these sort of situations and you would actually come to people's aid and try to cheer them up by cheerleading, which is an interesting and very Japanese concept in my opinion. Elite Beat Agents is a rhythm game where you tap and drag the DS stylus to the beat of the music. Sales were lower than expected for this game, but received high praise from critics. And then the second game we played in the second half of the month was Rhythm Heaven, also known as Rhythm Paradise in Europe and Rhythm World in Korea. It was developed by Nintendo SPD, published by Nintendo and released in Japan in July of 2008 and North America in April 2009. 
It is a rhythm game with more of a mix of stylus movements and levels with differing rules and was succeeded by Rhythm Heaven Fever for the Wii and Rhythm Heaven Mega Mix for the 3DS. So that's sort of the nuts and bolts of the game, Sean. Awesome. Well, usually we talk about our histories with a given game franchise, but in this instance, we're going to talk about our histories with rhythm games in general, our personal histories there. So I will say these are kind of more of a modern genre. The earliest dedicated rhythm games that I can think of that I was really into were Amplitude and Frequency, the original PS2 versions of those games. And those are games that kind of preceded Guitar Hero in a way that you kind of fly this like spaceship on a track in the same way you would like the Guitar Hero tracks. But you, rather than using a special peripheral, you just use the controller to tap out the face buttons to a rhythm. And it was cool. There was a really good song selection on both of those games. I still own those physically in my collection. I'll probably hold on to them because they have a lot of nostalgia for me. And that was kind of my introduction into rhythm games. And then, of course, Guitar Hero came along and it was just a phenomenon. Of course, (laughs) we had my good friend Frank on the show. And the first time I played Guitar Hero was at him and his brother's house when they had the original Guitar Hero for the PS2 and the guitar peripheral and you know, I remember like poo-pooing the whole thing when I first saw it. Like, of course, what is that? Because you're a guitar player. They right. all do. Yeah. Right. Like, we were in a band together, and it was like, what the hell is this stupid shit? Like, uh, <laughs> but once you get into it, it's like, yo, this is awesome. Like, this is really cool. <laughs> and uh, from there, it was just like the attack of the plastic instruments. You know, I've gone through <laughs> all of them. You know, I've had all the rock bands and all the guitar heroes. I, d- I don't have too many now. Like, I have a lot of the guitars, but I just, I didn't have room for like the drum sets. I recently got rid of my yeah. DJ hero and stuff like that, but I still really like them. And there's all other kind of like offshoot types of rhythm games. There's the whole like Japanese side of it. There's a lot of Hatsune Miku games and the Persona Dancing All Night series. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of stuff out there if you're into this kind of genre. That's kind of where I'm at with it. I do enjoy them, but it was interesting and we'll get into the experience of actually trying to like play one of these games from start to finish. I realize that these are the kind of games that you just want to kind of jump into, especially like a Guitar Hero. You just want to jump into it at a party you know, have some fun with your friends and that's it. You don't actually sit and like play these games or try to play them from start to finish. At least that's not my usual style with them. So what about you? What's your history with the rhythm game genre? Well, I have to say the first rhythm game that I remember playing was with my younger brother. I was a big Sony fan, had the PlayStation And for whatever reason, I think I used him as an excuse to get Parappa the Rapper uh, because it was almost like a little kitty game, you know, but I was like, you know what? It's kind of looks like it might be pretty cool. And and I was older and I probably didn't want people knowing that I was playing Parappa the Rapper at the time. And I really, really enjoyed that game. Ended up beating it. I haven't played this game in a long time. I know Cartridge Club did a playthrough of it and... From what I heard, it doesn't really hold up. 
I don't know how it would fare for me playing it today in a modern setting, but uh, I really just love the kind of button mashy as they go by and, and doing it in time. I like that a lot. So I think I would probably still enjoy it today. And then later, I was working in a bank for a while. One of my coworkers said, have you ever played this game Guitar Hero? And I was like, uh, no, I've never tried it. And she was like, oh, it's so much fun. My daughter and I play it. You got to take it home. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, my wife and I'll check it out. It was for the Wii and I took it home and instantly I fell in love with it. I had my wife try it out. She loved it. And the next thing you know, I've got my own wood grain guitar and she's got one <laughs> with a pink skin on it. We ordered our own skins and everything and we're jamming out. You know, my wife, who is not the video game person, we really enjoyed playing Guitar Hero together. And, uh, you know, we'd break it out at parties and stuff and it was a lot of fun. So uh, I have really great memories of Guitar Hero and uh, still have our two guitars leaning in the corner of my game room as we speak. Ready to jam out at any time. Awesome. And I'm glad you brought up Parappa the Rappa because I just want to be clear in no way is either one of us being like comprehensive with our lists. You kind of made me think of also Dance Dance Revolution and there's other Mm -hmm. so many other different games that are out there. But I'm glad that you went further back because I actually didn't play any of the PS1 rhythm titles there's also like vib ribbon uh and a couple other ones uh guitaru man so um, uh, and wasn't there um the sequel or successor on ps1 uh un lammy oh, jammy or oh something? yeah i'm jammy lammy yeah <laughs> so, whatever <laughs> no it's not whatever that's that's a good one <laughs> we're <Yeah>. going live <laughs> yeah so Clearly, it's something that we're both into, which is interesting because that led to like the hype and anticipation of doing this playthrough because we were kind of knocking out two birds with one stone, which is that we like to do handhelds now and again, like a couple times a year. And I don't think we've ever done a rhythm game uh, for the playthrough. So this is a really cool idea that I was anticipating a lot. So we'll get into how it played out. (laughs) But first... We have a story in 60 seconds. Now, I know Elite Beat Agents, you can kind of piece together, there is a little bit of a story. It's mostly made of like little vignettes, in fact. That's right. Rhythm Heaven, I don't know what you came up with here, but Rich, let's get the story in 60 seconds. Story in 60 seconds. Elite Beat Agents is a rhythm game. You play as agents trying to help other people out with weird-ass problems. Rhythm Heaven? Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's it. I'm sorry it was lame this month. I know you're used to my uh, long, poetic, <laughs> diatribe, epicness that ensues from that, but I just couldn't do it this month with Rhythm Games. Before we get into our talk a little too much, I wanted to explain the discussion format that we're going to be using. Yeah. When we do two games, you and I typically talk about both games sort of at the same time. We don't do one game and go through gameplay and all the other elements and then go to the next game and do the same for that. We kind of just all mash it together. But what I thought would be fun with this format is to maybe say, okay, here's what I think about the story. Here's what I think about the gameplay, the graphics, the music. Let's say which game we give the edge to, and then maybe with our final thoughts, 
we can discuss which game maybe we preferred or recommend over the other. Yeah, this is a cool idea. I like it. So story, I think I got to give the edge to <laughs> Leaping Agents <laughs> since it's the only game that actually had a story. It's kind of neat. Like I said, it's very Japanese, you know, like these sort of well-groomed dancing FBI agents coming out to help these people solve these really odd problems. And it's strange because they don't help directly. No. There's just these stories that go along and they're just like dancing. And I, I don't I don't really understand how it really jives, but it is what it is. And you've got guys with flamboyant hairdos dancing around the screen. Yeah. And with Rhythm Heaven, I, I don't want to take away too much from it just because there's no overarching narrative. Yeah, because yeah. Rhythm Heaven to me is basically like a mini game collection set to music. It's very reminiscent of like the WarioWare titles. Mm -hmm. It's very similar to that, only it's rhythm-based objectives and gameplay. So it's not like a game needs to have a story when it's something like that. So... Yeah, you give the edge to Elite Beat Agents, and I will too, obviously, just because it has a story versus not having one, but that's not really a knock against Rhythm Heaven in this category, per se. Yeah, I mean, a game doesn't always have to have a story, like you said. For this one, it's just a series of mini-games, and they have their own cute and quirky personalities as well, which kind of keeps the game fresh and, you know, makes it really cool. Yeah. Let's move on to the gameplay of both the games. Can I explain Elite Beat Agents? Absolutely. So both of these games are played via touchscreen controls on the DS. Elite Beat Agents is basically there are dots on the screen that you have to tap in time with certain rhythms. I was going to say with the rhythm, but it's not always quite that way, and I'll explain that in a minute. So you'll have like... These little icons on the screen that, that have numbers on them, one, two, three, four. There's also this sliding thing that almost looks like a beach ball in a track that you have to snake along the screen by like kind of dragging it to the rhythm. And then let it took me a little while to figure out how that works. Yeah. You had to actually <laughs> drag it. I would hit it and then hit it when I got to the end and, you know, see like a oh, little failure. Okay. I was like, what the hell? Yeah. But yeah. yeah finally figured that out. Yeah, so you got to drag it across and let go at the right time as well to get a good beat. And then um, that's pretty much it. The whole goal is that you have a meter at the top of the screen that goes from yes to no. <laughs> and there's a, a green zone and a red zone. And you want to keep it in the yes and in the green zone. And as you play, even if you're doing well, that meter is kind of fading out on you. So you got to be really good and keep your meter up. Now, you won't fail a song if you're in the red zone, but you can fail like each song. I don't want to call them checkpoints because you don't go back to them if you fail the song. But it's like mm -hmm. you either fail or succeed at these certain points or sections in the song. And I don't know what the threshold is. Like if you can fail two, I never failed more than one. So I'm not sure how that works, but what I'm saying is your meter can be in the red, but if it goes all the way down, you just fail the song automatically. And then at the end of each song, you're given a score and a grade, which if you're playing for score, this game would be really like kind of challenging and awesome. I was just playing to pass the song, so I didn't care what my grade was. Give me a D and just give me the next song. I don't care. But yeah, that's the gameplay in Elite Beat Agents. Rich, you want to explain? Rhythm Heaven? 
I will. Uh, I just want to piggyback on what you were saying about Elite Beat Agents. The circles are numbered, but they're also different colors as well. And so you have to go from like one to five or one to three, whatever, in the blue circle and then move on to like red, yellow, green or something like that. So they are color coordinated too. And at some point when you get to certain parts of the game, they're just kind of all over the screen and in different places. So it can kind of make your eyes cross and twisted at some points. The other piece of the gameplay is that there are these like large rings that kind of collapse and you have to hit it at a certain time as it gets right around the circle. If you hit it too early, you fail. If you hit it late or don't hit it at all, you fail. And depending on how close you get to that ring, you gain extra points, right? And that's kind of what makes your grade go up. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. I had forgotten about that part, which I really hated at first because I couldn't like kind of figure out the trick to it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, to me, the trick was um, I would have the DS in my lap and was kind of bracing my right hand that had the stylus in it against my thigh so I could like steady my hand so I wasn't just like winging my arm around the screen, if that makes sense. But yeah, those those spinning wheels were a pain in the butt. But when he did them right, it was very satisfying. All right, so let's move into the gameplay of Rhythm Heaven. The first thing I want to talk about is sort of the difference between this and Elite Beat Agents. Whereas Elite Beat Agents, you basically open up your DS in the normal way that you typically play a DS. In Rhythm Heaven, you actually open up the DS, or in my case, the 3DS, like a book. Yeah. Did you play this on 3DS or DS? Yeah, so funny story. I was playing it on my DSi XL, and especially for Rhythm Heaven, I found that the touchscreen just wasn't cutting it. Like, I've never had problems with this DSi before as far as the touchscreen, but for the precision required for both of these games, I actually moved over to one of my 3DSs, and I had a little bit of a better time. So I played on uh, both a DSi and a 3DS XL. So with the DSi, also had that atypical like book style? Yeah, that you had yes, to play? sir. Yep. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, I was just curious about that, because I, I did play on 3DS as well. With Rhythm Heaven, like Sean said, it's based on a bunch of different rhythm game so sometimes you're pulling your styles down and up sometimes you're tapping the screen sometimes you're making certain movements and things like that so i would say that rhythm heaven it's a lot more elaborate than elite beat agents whereas elite beat agents typically has about three options there's the dots that shrink there's the ball that rolls on the screen that's two and then at the end of elite beat agents there's this thing where you're just kind of drawing a circle as fast as you can to gain extra bonus points for a score-based game. But I would say Rhythm Heaven is just a mixed bag of things you can do, and I really like that about it. I thought it was a little more creative than Elite Beat Agents. It's um, a little more intuitive of a game as far as gameplay. There were some of the games that I didn't really care for that much, to be honest, but I thought that overall the variety in the gameplay was uh, very cool, and you know, it offered a little bit more in terms of gameplay. I do kind of agree with you, and I don't want to bias myself in this category because I finished Elite Beat Agents and I didn't get very far at all in Rhythm Heaven, so I want to be careful to not be biased against Rhythm Heaven because I found the, I and I tweeted this, the precision necessary to succeed in Rhythm Heaven is just something that was beyond my grasp. Yeah. 
I had a hard time with the two, yeah. to be honest. I, I didn't finish either game. I had problems with both games. Apparently, I suck at rhythm games okay. uh, with the stylus, that is. But um, I'm trying to like approach it from a perspective of you know how someone else who might enjoy rhythm games more than I do yeah. might appreciate it, you know? Yeah, so having said all that, I agree. I would give the edge to Rhythm Heaven just because it's more of a smorgasbord of different ideas. Whereas, like you said, Elite Beat Agents is a set of gameplay mechanics that you use throughout the entire game. Whereas with Rhythm Heaven, it's something different on every single level. Absolutely. All right, well, next category is graphics and environments. As many topics are with these two different games... They're very different stylistically, although they're both definitively Japanese as hell, but in their own special ways, right? So Yeah, different. As you mentioned, Elite Beat Agents has this kind of... uh, I tried to kind of figure this out in my research, and I know in the game industry there's cross-pollination everywhere with people moving between companies and studios and stuff, but this game really reminded me of two things. The Kenka Bancho series, which we've talked about, we've never done a playthrough on it, but like the Kenka Bancho Badass Rumble series, there's one game that made it to North America on the PSP. Uh-huh. And it also reminded me of Danganronpa. Yeah, I have that written down. Yeah. yeah so a lot of the, um, not the agents themselves, but the like comic book panel style intros to each level and then the stuff that's going on on the top screen which is often hard to pay attention to but actually they do a good job of like kind of pausing the gameplay so you can watch a few seconds of like a cutscene on the top screen before you go into the next section and all that stuff reminded me of danganronpa it was really funny Mm mm-hmm And then with Rhythm Heaven, as I mentioned before, the graphics are very similar to the WarioWare micro games where some of them are cartoony, some of them are kind of stick figure-y, and then they'll have anime-ish kind of things, but it's more just like this hand-drawn straight line artwork, right? Yeah, I agree. There's sort of some characters in on some of the scenes. They're a little derpy, you know, yeah. which are, it's just kind of fun and just really cute. Elite Beat Agents is sort of done in a frantic comic book style, as you mentioned, similar to Danganronpa. But Rhythm Heaven is uh, very simplistic. There's not a lot going on graphically. It's definitely not as flashy as Elite Beat Agents. But at the same time, I like the style. I think it's cool. And um, I think there's really nice variation in the different games that you play. So while I think the art style in... Elite Beat Agents is flashier. It's a lot more fun. I really enjoy the art style, too, in Rhythm Heaven. And I I think it's just a different type of style. And it just depends on what you find more appealing aesthetically. But in all honesty, as far as graphics and environment, I have to give the edge to Elite Beat Agents on this one. All right. We're going to agree again because uh, I feel the same way, even though I think Rhythm Heaven, like you said, is very minimalistic and it's very creative and it ties into the gameplay in ways that Elite Beat Agents doesn't even come close, right? Like Mm -hmm. your gameplay is directly tied to the animations and what's going on 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 the other screen, whereas Elite Beat Agents is more akin to a guitar hero where the rhythm mechanics are just played over this backdrop of your graphics and characters and environments. However, 
I'm too much of a fan of the kind of Japanese pop art, like, yeah. uh, you know, like I said, the comic book anime style. People get angry and they have vampire teeth, so. You know. Right, yeah, and they have, like, <laughs> you know, steam coming out of their ears and stuff. Like, Godzilla teeth. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I love all that stuff, yeah, so. It's fun. I'm with you. I'm going to give the edge to elite beat agents on the graphics. Should we move into the sound and music then? With these games, the big difference really is that Elite Beat Agent uses real songs, whereas Rhythm Heaven has its own original soundtrack with no vocals. Yeah, so to clarify, you said real songs. Come on, Rich, all songs are real. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. Yeah, it actually has lyrics and singing what do you mean, like, and r- songs that you typically hear on the radio. You mean licensed songs. For example, Absolutely. Madonna, The Village People. Yeah, yeah. real shit, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and Rhythm Heaven has original music for the game, which is also very, very good. So it's not, yeah. it's not as easy as saying, oh, these are songs I know, therefore I like them better. So... Yeah, this one is kind of a hard choice as well because I didn't get very far in Rhythm Heaven. I I actually struggled beating the first remix and then I finally did, but by then I had already watched the rest of the game on YouTube. So I didn't play much more after that point, but I really like all the music in Rhythm Heaven. It's very happy sounding music. Yeah. It's called Rhythm Heaven and all the songs live up to that name has really good rhythm to it. Makes you want to move, makes you want to <laughs> makes you want to get in there with the stylus and destroy your DS touchscreen. On the other hand, Elite Beat Agents, it has a licensed soundtrack and I got to say I liked more of the songs than I disliked. There were a few songs that I didn't recognize and those were harder to get through because didn't really know the song, didn't know what to expect. And we should also mention it's cover versions of these famous songs. So they have Material Girl by Madonna, but it's sung by somebody else. But most of the versions, the renditions of the songs in the game are fine. Like they're pretty decent. You know, it's always fun to play along to a song that you actually like. So, man, tough choice, but I think I need to keep with Elite Beat Agents on this one and give the edge on the choosing to go with licensed songs. I think it was a good mix, and uh, it made it easier to connect with what was going on on the screen. So, what about you? Well, I want to make two points. The first is, I do like the licensed music, and I like the song choices quite a lot. But 
I feel like as far as music and gameplay is concerned, it gets a little grating and repetitive to have to hear the same songs over and over and over and over again, especially when you suck as bad as I do. Whereas with Rhythm Heaven, with the original soundtrack, it just kind of fit like into the background and I didn't focus so much on the music. And so I, I felt like it wasn't as annoying and for that reason I would probably give the edge to Rhythm Heaven. Now I will say that as far as gameplay goes, Elite Beat Agent had a better mishmashing of gameplay and music. When you would hit those circles, I felt like it was more in rhythm. There was a rhythm to it that flowed along with the music, whereas Rhythm Heaven, I really didn't feel that way. I felt like the music was just background, and you weren't playing along with the rhythm. It makes sense to a certain extent. I, I gotta disagree with you on Rhythm Heaven, because I actually think that with Elite Beat Agents, it is tied into the song, but that's actually one of my complaints about this game. And uh, I'll explain. With Elite Beat Agents... They go back and forth. Your presses and your drags and all your movements are connected to different parts of the song, meaning one moment you'll be tapping along to the vocal melody, and then the next moment you'll be tapping along to like the guitar or keyboard melody, which is really weird for a rhythm game. If you think about amplitude and frequency, like... Those games have different tracks for the different instruments. So I understand how that's kind of a challenge for a game like this, but it really tripped me up sometimes, especially in the last song as I was trying to learn it. It's Jumpin' Jack Flash by the Rolling Stones. You know, there's some parts where you'd be like tap, 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 like Jumpin' Jack Flash. And then the next part, you'd be like tap, tap, ta ta ta, Like, you know what I mean? Like playing along with the guitar line. It's like, this is really weird, and it's like kind of disorienting in a way. Whereas in Rhythm Heaven, I kind of disagree that it's not connected to the music. With Rhythm Heaven, though, it felt like they were trying to screw you up too much, and I didn't really like that. Like, they had all these, like, offbeat rhythms just really unpredictably. So for somebody who likes a challenge, that would be great but i was just like trying to like get into the music and kind of get into the groove of the music and then it would like switch and there would be like a offbeat or whatever i know that's designed to throw you off and to make it more challenging it made it less enjoyable for me yeah i can only hear skater boy so many times no i totally get that and again with jumping jack flash like i don't like the rolling stones to begin with and that's the last song of the game and it's very very hard and I said on Twitter, I haven't been this rage quitty since we did the golf games and Neo Turf Masters was like driving me up a wall. <laughs> this is funny and embarrassing. And it just goes to show did that you I throw something. It's kind of worse than that. I actually jammed my stylus through my couch because I had um, I had my stylus in my hand and I was making a fist and I was just kind of pounding my fist against the couch. And I left a couple holes in the couch because my stylus was in my hand. <laughs> now, this isn't a big loss because my couch is a really nasty, like disgusting, torn apart, stained piece of garbage. But it's just like, <laughs> damn, it's like I still have this like ability to totally rage quit when a game is really pissing me off. 
Now, Rhythm Heaven pissed me off so much I just rage quit and stopped playing the game. But with the <laughs> with Elite Beat Agents, I was like, this is the last song of the game. I'm going to beat this damn game, you know? Yeah. I wanted to get to my second point real quick. Sean, do you believe in life after love? <laughs> yeah, of course. Why not? Like, I don't know. What does that even mean? <laughs> Why not believe in it? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Oh, man. That was kind of fun. Probably the one song I didn't get tired of hearing, which is odd, but that was a fun one to actually have in a rhythm game, though. Yeah, definitely. Wow. This is the quickest time I think we've ever talked about a game, much less two games, but we're already at Final Thoughts. So, um... We've gone through, I've kind of tallied up the scores here. I think you're three to one for Elite Beat Agents, and I'm two to two on both. So I'm going to let you take it away and uh, give me your final thoughts on these games. Sure. So, yeah, this playthrough was a little confounding, a little unfortunate in that I thought I would love both of these games. And. Man, Rhythm Heaven like really broke my heart because it had a really good first impression. Like that first chunk of levels, especially the one with the three like singers, and then it's like, ah, uh, you know, yeah. I love that. And together now, ah, uh, like I loved that level. I actually did it like three times in a row the first time I did it because it was so much fun. I couldn't figure it out. I thought I was supposed to be singing with them, not in line. So I had to look up a team playthrough for that. <laughs> and it's like the second thing. Yeah. So actually, you bring up a major point about Rhythm Heaven is that even though each level has its own tutorial, it's not always easy to understand what you're supposed to be doing. And then I just got to mention, I think it's the third or fourth level in the first section with the pop singer who's trying to practice in front of the monkeys. And mm -hmm. uh you know, whenever she says, I suppose, you have to go, I suppose, yeah. And then it's just like, oh, this stuff is so great. It's so much fun. But then I got to that first remix, which is all the levels you've done so far mixed I couldn't beat together. It, yeah. I actually couldn't beat it for a long time either. I must have tried it 30 or 40 times before I actually got through it. And then by then I was like really burnt out on the game, to be quite honest with you. So... Yeah, Rhythm Heaven just really broke my heart because I was really looking forward to it. I'd seen gameplay of it. I heard some of the music and I was like, oh man, I'm I'm all here for this because this is like right up my alley. I will probably still try the one for the Wii and the one for the 3DS. Maybe they're a little bit easier. Maybe they're different, but I can't give this game a bad review just because I sucked at it. Like, I think it's a really good game. It's just like I wasn't good at it. So that's so, such an anticlimactic, like final thought, but I didn't get very far in the game. It's hard to say too much about it. Now, Elite Beat Agents was kind of a different beast because that was to me more in the traditional vein of like what we were talking about, Guitar Hero, Amplitude, all these games that have licensed soundtracks where you're just playing via some more rigid set of game mechanics, playing along with songs and then just clearing one song and going into the next song there's 15 tracks in elite beat agents and i played through the whole game on the easiest difficulty and there was only a few songs that i like failed a few times at before i had to kind of push through them 
And the last song, I just failed it <laughs> very many times before I finally finished it. But I just found Elite Beat Agents to be a better experience front to back. It was just really more my speed. Yeah, I had some problems with touch screen accuracy, and I'm pretty sure it's not all my fault or my hardware's fault because I used two different systems and calibrated them both before I started playing, so... I would argue that the touchscreen controls in both cases are somewhat wonky to a certain extent, but I just, in general, prefer Elite Beat Agents for the reasons we discussed in each of these topics, and I think it's just, if you play it on easy, it's not like too easy, it's still a challenging game to actually beat it, but it's the first game I beat in a long time, and it's the first game I beat for the playthrough in a couple months, so um, I was really happy about that, so yeah. Uh, On this playthrough in general, it was a unique and kind of fascinating (laughs) set of games that we played here, and uh, I recommend them both highly, definitely, but just know that Rhythm Heaven really requires a degree of precision that I don't know if the touchscreen and stylus is the best peripheral for. Well, I want to start my final thoughts by saying, fuck these games, Oof, because... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this was the most frustrating playthrough for me. I know there's people out there that really enjoy these types of games, and I'm not trying to on it, but I'm really bad at them, and it, it's just not for me. I know I have to pick one of these two games. I went two and two on these, and I think that I really have to give the edge to Rhythm Heaven. For me, one of the strongest categories is gameplay, always. And so that is the one that I picked for gameplay because I thought it was a little more intuitive. I thought the book style was kind of neat, but all in all, I think Rhythm Heaven for me had more variety. And I know I didn't get that far, and I know there's more variety out there, but honestly, man, I'm having more fun playing E.T. on my Atari right now for the Extra Life feed that I'm going to be doing this year, uh, which I'll mention on the show at a later time. You mentioned playing Rhythm Heaven and wanting to try it out on Wii. I have it on Wii. I can't imagine what that's like with the Wii moat and like the motions and stuff like that. I believe it might drive us to jump off a bridge. Yeah. Well, I just wonder, like, I would hope on the Wii, the tolerances would be a little lower for the gameplay. So that's what I'm curious about. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I'm not going to say I don't recommend either of these games. I definitely think Rhythm Heaven's a little bit better of a game. But if you do enjoy these types of games, you should definitely pick them up and try them out. They're not very expensive. But I do agree with you, Sean. I just think the DS is not the right format for these types of games. I think the implementation of the stylus is bad, and I think that's what I really like so much about Parappa the Rapper and things like Guitar Hero, is that they're clicky, and you've got the buttons, and you have to mash them or hold them down or strum at the right time, and I think that's just so much more intuitive than sitting there just tap, tap, tapping your screen like a frantic woodpecker. Um, <laughs> it drove me crazy. I hated it, and I'm sitting there trying to do it. My my hands are so close together, and my big-ass shoulders are, like, scrunched up on this little machine, which I was playing on the 3DS 
XL. And it still was just so tedious to me. So um, while I didn't really enjoy this playthrough, I'm glad we did it. Because it was a, an interesting, let's say, experiment for us in playing these types of games. And I feel better for it. And I feel like knowing what stuff you don't really care for is just as important as knowing what types of games you really like. So uh, I might be selling some of these games, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that that's just my take on it. And uh, again, I'm not trying to poo-poo people who love these types of games. If you like them, I say pick them up and have a good time with them. But just wasn't for me this go-round. Totally understood. I want to ask you one more thing because... I talked about this before. Yes, I believe in life. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> Something we all should strive for. Um, no, I wanted to ask you, because it's something that I mentioned before we started this playthrough, is that I treat all my handhelds like museum pieces, and I really yeah. don't, uh, not that I don't like them, but I'm always scared of games that make you scrape the hell out of the screen on a constant basis, so... Are you like me where you like an elite beat agents where I had to do like the spinning wheel? I'm like, oh, be careful. Don't scratch the screen. <laughs> yeah, I was because I plan on my special edition, like that Metroid XL. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's like super, super nice. It's like my baby, you know, and I'm like, oh, shit. I don't want to scratch this thing up. Yeah, it does make you do things to your screen that you really don't want to do. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm glad we had this experience and had the talk about these games. So let's move on to our next two playthrough games. So in September, we'll be playing Gears of War, the original Gears of War, a rare Xbox 360 title for the playthrough. Uh, we played Fable 2 pretty recently, and we had to think about any other games we played on the 360. Uh, one of them was Alan Wake, but it's not something we do all the time uh, just because, <laughs> just to be frank, it's mostly that you're not a fan, Rich, right? Oh, is that what it is? <laughs> so, yeah, I'm a huge fan of the Gears of War franchise. You know, I've played this game in the past and I actually already finished a playthrough of the Ultimate Edition and I'm working on a playthrough of the original Xbox 360 edition. So, Rich, have you started the game yet? I have not. And you know why? Because I haven't gotten that TV up on my wall <laughs> yet. And that's what my 360 is going to be plugged into. That's good So this is giving me more motivation to get the TV up. But, of course, I'm going to be playing on the original game. This is a game that, when the 360 came out, I actually had a friend who was playing this game. And I watched him play it when I would go over to his house. And it looked really cool and really fun. And even though I'm not the biggest Microsoft fan... This is definitely one of their series that I've wanted to try out because it is exclusive. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to digging into this game, Sean. should be a lot of fun. So in October, we are playing another spooky game, which we always do. It's uh, our only month that we have a very specific theme. And I've been wanting to play Fatal Frame 1 for the longest time, and I've been bugging Sean about it. And so... We are actually playing Fatal Frame 2 Crimson Butterfly. Now, from what I understand, Sean, you and I have not played the first Fatal Frame game yet, so explain to me why we're starting out on the second game. 
Yeah. So in a lot of cases, we would want to start with the first game. But with Fatal Frame 2, it just turns out that as far as the franchise goes, this seems to be a very special game. And it's not sequel specific in a way that you have to play the first game first. Actually, Fatal Frame 2 is like a prequel to the first, but it has its own story. Uh, There's a few things that kind of stand out to me as why I would prefer to just jump right into this game. One of the things is that it's available on more platforms and it's available in more platforms in an interesting way. So you have kind of the vanilla game on the PS2. You have what's called the director's cut on the original Xbox. And then you have kind of a all-out remake on the Wii. Now, the Wii version is only available in the PAL consoles, so you either have to hack your system or have a PAL region Wii or play it on an emulator on a computer. But that's one of the reasons I thought it was kind of cool. There's a lot of options out there to play it. The other thing is, there's a couple other things actually, is that It's known as being on the easy side as far as survival horror games go. Because in the past, we've tried to do survival horror. Some of our really OG listeners will remember that way back in the day, Steven hosted a playthrough of the Resident Evil remake. And I just was a disaster at the game, didn't get very far into it. And as a result, I don't think it was one of our strongest podcast episodes, to be quite honest with you. So picking Fatal Frame 2 because it's uh, known to be more user friendly. And then also because it just gets stellar reviews. It's beloved by many people. It's a cult classic and it's known as just a standout in the genre in general. And plus it stars two twin sisters. So (laughs) we love uh, female pro tags around here. So it's just icing on the cake. So it seems like an awesome game and I'm really excited. I have access to all three versions, so I'm not going to do full playthroughs on all of them, but I'm going to try out all of them. Cool, man. I will be playing on the PS2 in October. Just to talk about the game just for a second, it's a little different than most survival horror games where you would carry around a gun and fight demons. In this game, you're going against ghosts, so you have what's known as the Camera Obscura, not the band that Sean and I love, (laughs) but um, you actually take photos of the ghosts. It is your means of attacking them, and you have to find them through the viewfinder of the camera, so... Sean and I really like these kind of quirky games, and I thought that this would be a really cool gameplay element to try out and uh, you know, see if we agree with others that really dig this series.
And that will do it for another episode. Thank you as always for listening and a special thanks to all of our participants. In September, we're locked and loaded to revisit the origins of one of Microsoft's flagship franchises when we chainsaw our way through the original Gears of War. Whether you play the 360 original or the Xbox One Ultimate Edition, both of which are currently available on Game Pass, you're sure to have a bloody good time. Be sure to log on to the forums at rfgeneration.com to join the playthrough, and we'll see you next time on the Playcast. Basketball. Bow. Blah, blah, bling, blamage. Oh. Jeez. You there, man? Yeah. Dude, do you know this show called Poldark on PBS? I never heard of it. It's like some colonial soap opera that my wife watches. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And my and? nine-year-old son is down there watching it on TV by himself right now. Oh god! <laughs> like ruining him. Like, what are you doing? I was like, are you watching Poldark? Jeez, what the hell is going on with my life? <laughs> I'm gonna have to look that up. Let's see what it is. Oh my god! Sitting here eating freeze-dried mango slices, and my son's oh. watching Poldark. What a f-ing Saturday night. <laughs>
Good night, love. 